I'd like you to open to the book of Psalms, Psalms 139. I have, I guess, is an unusual title and probably message this morning, but it's about the Christian and hate. Hate's not a very popular message. It's not one that is spoken of often. In fact, it's a message that's quite often condemned, and we certainly would ourselves. But there is another side to hate that is necessary to your being a holy and loving Christian person. And how can that be? Well, we'll see if we can't make that clear to you today. Now, in Psalms 139 and verse 21, 139 and verse 21, Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am I not grieved with those that rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them as my enemies. No doubt a lot of people that read that, probably all of us when we first read it, had problems with that. Because how can we as Christians be loving and all of that and at the same time have the ability or the capacity to hate? Why would the writer of Psalm, let's say it's David, why would he say that? Why would he say that? You know, there are things that you should hate. Have you ever said this? Man, I did. I hate when I do that. I hate these traffic lights. You ever been there? Welcome to the world. Or you ever done things that I just hate to hear people say that. Or, I hate that music. I've said that a lot about that ignorant stuff they call music today. I hate that sound. Well, you know, it doesn't mean that we've drawn our swords, loaded our guns, and we're going to blow something up. It doesn't mean that. But it means there's something about the effect and the actions of things and people or sounds that are so in opposition to God that you standing on God's side, you hate that. I, dis I don't like that. I, I don't want any part of that. I am going to withdraw myself from it. And when you begin to seek a definition in the Bible of hate, it comes down to that quite often. You turn away from something as I want nothing to do with that or with people like that. Does the Bible say bad company corrupts? then a person is going to have to, in his Christian life, identify what bad means. Bad in with regard to what? Bad concerning what? Because most people, with little discernment, with fellowship with anybody, well, I'm a Christian, I'm just going to love everybody. And yet there's times you need to stay away from people because of the influence they have, the philosophy of life or the belief system that they have, if they can hang around you, they'll affect you. And there are things about people in life that you should despise. We'll get to this more later on, but you should despise your sins. If you don't, you'll tolerate it. You'll keep it around. When God says this is not the way to go, don't go this way, and you find yourself going that way, and then, you know, I shouldn't do that. Man, I just heard a message on I've Boy, I don't know why I do that. But you'll do it again because you don't despise it. You don't see the effect it would have on you. Or if it's a person like the psalmist said here, the attitude these people have about God. People that hate you, Lord, I hate them. You say, well, who hates God? I, who in the world would... Hate God. In the English language, we define hate as that type of despicable, loathsome, ugh. And there's nothing wrong with that because that's a good definition. But in the biblical sense, sometimes it, it means that uh, I despise that kind of sin so much, that attitude so much. I want nothing to do with it, and I withdraw myself from it. One of the definitions in the Bible of the Hebrew word hate, sonne, is to be unwilling. It's just a definition. To hate is to be unwilling. That is, I'm unwilling to be a part of that. I'm unwilling to participate in that. I'm unwilling to accept that as being all right. I, I want no part of that. 
I think the Bible calls this separation come out from uh, among them. Why would you come out if you could not with your eyes being taught see the effect that the world has on people? If you don't see that and withdraw from that, they will affect you because a little leaven, leaven's a whole lump. So you got to withdraw yourself from it. And hate what it's doing to people. Have you ever seen people that are living in the world and going astray in absolutely horrible behavior? Could you hate that kind of behavior? Because if you don't think it's such a bad thing, then why not let it come into your life? But if you're on God's side, and you know how God feels about that, because you read the Bible, how he judges that, you don't want to be judged. You want God's favor in your life. So you hate the fact that that's coming on, that that's in the world, and that it could affect you if you allow it to. And at the expense of being misunderstood by people, other churches, maybe your own family, you separate yourself from it. I'm not an adversary of lost, undone, sinful people. They have one they should fear, and that's God. And he has the final say about their life when it's over. But I want to stay on the good side of God, and I want to be in opposition with God, and I want to have the mind of Christ against all this other stuff. Jesus wasn't very kind to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, was he? I mean, he didn't say, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you're just a bunch of whitewashed tombs. You are children of hell. You know what? I, I think he just let them have it because he had no respect for what they believed and the effect what they believed was having on whoever would listen to him. He told them once, he said, you go around the whole world and make one proselyte, and when you're through with that person, they are twice as much a child of hell as you are. Jesus warned them, beware of the leaven, what those people do and how they affect you. I've said many times here about what traditional religion will do to you. And some of you sin, you know, not very much, maybe once in a year. Sounds like it's every week, but it's very seldom. But people are offended by that. They are. They're offended by the fact that we shouldn't be so harsh. I don't mean to be harsh, but I do mean to take a stand. I don't want happening in my life what is happening in multitudes of church people's lives. Where God is a good old boy and life is okay and after all, you can't help it. You're never going to be perfect and quit trying, you know, and let's not, but let's come and all of that. I would rather say, you know, we have a standard that has been set so high. And in reality, God hangs a plumb line in every congregation that's ever going to assemble before him, a straight line. This is the way walking in it. Now, if you change this, God hates that. Because it puts you in opposition to God. We may not hate it because we don't feel like that would ever be right. But God would. Listen to this again, the psalmist. He said, am I not grieved with those that rise up against thee? Are you? Are we grieved about people who have no interest in God? They have no real interest in church. They like to be members of a church, but they don't want to believe what he's saying. They don't want to hear the word of God. They get bored and they quit easy. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The psalmist says, I also, Lord, I am grieved with those that rise up against you. He said, I hate them. I'm opposed to them with perfect hatred. There's How about the story one time? You talk about disregard for the world as a form of hate being opposed to the world as a form of hate. King Jehoshaphat had just returned from a battle with the king, the king of the north, the ten tribes of the north, Ahab. He had asked Jehoshaphat to come and help him fight. Jehoshaphat said, sure, be glad to. So they went up there and they fought. Ahab was actually killed in the battle. Somebody just shot an arrow at random, landed right under Ahab's chin down into his armor and he killed him. And Jehoshaphat was spared. He came back. And when he got back home, 
prophet Jehu. He met him. Now, this is the king, and this is just a prophet. And he said in Second Chronicles 19, I think, in verse 2, he said, Should you love those that hate the Lord? That man has no regard for God. He knows about God. He's heard all about that from this source and, and that source. He knows about that, but he's made a decision to disregard it. Like religion does today, it just disregards what God is saying, manufactures its own ideas about what God is probably like, and worship that. It made a little idol out of their religion because it suits them. And when you say, no, the Bible says this, oh, they gnashed their teeth at you. Could you say, I hate that with a perfect hatred? I oppose them with a perfect hatred, with a perfect opposition? Yeah, the prophet met Jehoshaphat, and he said, should you help, listen to this, should you help the ungodly and love those that hate the Lord? Should you? And boy, this generation today would fold their arms and say, where does the Bible say that? Second Chronicles chapter 19 and verse 2. By the words of a prophet, God personally sent to a king, a man who was a good man, Jehoshaphat. He said, should you help the ungodly and love those that hate the Lord? He said, because you've done this, wrath from the Lord is upon you. It didn't mean that all of a sudden he started gnashing his teeth and thunder and lightning fell and all of his property blew up and his kids died. It didn't, that wasn't what he's talking about. But your life is going to be less than it could have been. Something is going to come into your life now that makes life more difficult than it otherwise could have been because an element of God's favor is set aside in your life because you made a bad decision. It's just messing with the world. You've got to hate that. There's something you has got to rise up. Well, there's a book, a dictionary today called Word Book Old Testament, and it gives definitions of Hebrew words. Listen to this definition of the word sonne or hate. It says it's a verb which means to hate, to be unwilling, or to be hated. It expresses, now this we understand, it expresses an emotional attitude towards persons or things which are opposed, detested, despised, and which one wishes to have no contact or relationship. Let me ask you all a question. Should we oppose sin? Should you oppose it in your life personally? Now, the opposition to it, are you willing to call it hate? I hate that. I hate what that's done to me. I hate this or that. Which means I see the effects of participating in that kind of a sin. I see what that sin is doing to me or my children or my family or our church or our world, our country. Shouldn't something rise up and say, I refuse to go along with that? I refuse to participate in that? I refuse to give any approval to that? I withdraw. I am unwilling to have anything to do with that because God is going to judge all of it. And I'm going to make sure with my life, as best I can, I'm going to avoid the judgments of God. I don't want to go down when they go down, so I'm going to stand against them. And you read stories like that throughout, throughout the Scripture. The word hate, as we use, this means ill will, loathe something, abhor something. It can mean despise something, or in the biblical sense, it can mean really to love less, to be in opposition to. Take, for example, remember the story in Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 26? If any man come to me and hate not his mother and his father, brothers and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. They use the word hate as an attitude that a person has to have that will keep him from putting anything before God, not his family, not his life, not his closest friends, 
Because sometimes that decision is it's either or. And the fact that you're committed yourself to God and you're not allowed to compromise your position, you're to be loving and kind and long-suffering, but you can't compromise your convictions. A conviction is a God-ordered belief you can't change. A preference you can, but not a conviction. And so you made a decision that I am going to walk with the Lord and do things this way, and you'll find some of your enemies are in your own family. A loving mother or father who, who don't know the Lord and you just met him and you're getting convicted and you're learning and you're taking a stand. Your parents are really concerned. You become real strange. You know that, child? You're reading the Bible way too much. I've caught you three times this week praying. And now you want to go to church four nights a week and plus Sunday morning. Oh, I think there's something wrong here. Is there anything wrong with that? Not necessarily, no. If you're doing your work and doing your job and you're maintaining a a, a good heart and a good walk, no. But people who never do that, who don't do that, who would never want to do that, have a problem with anybody that does that. And sometimes they want you to quit. There have been children threatened. If you don't quit this, I remember this years ago when I was brand new in the Lord, a man's wife, and I knew all these people because I grew up with them, He told his wife, if you're going to go to that church and get that religion, I'm going to start drinking. Your life's going to be miserable. She gave it up. You're confronted with a, a crossroads here. Your loyalty to God is being threatened. Your so called convictions are now being challenged. And somebody you personally live with, whom you, you know, a husband or a wife, and. Yeah, you make a decision. That's what he said in so many words. You choose. It's either me or God. And she chose her husband because she had to live with him every day. Didn't know how to deal with it. Was taught no more after that because she didn't come to church anymore. Didn't know how to deal with anything. She knew how to go to church and how to sing the hymns. Didn't know how to live with life. Didn't know how to deal with things. Didn't know how to make good decisions. Was told that God understands whatever you do. It's all right because you're a good person. That type thing. And so she didn't really choose God. She chose her husband. You've got to hate that. You've got to hate that. You spare the rod, you do what? And he that doesn't chasten his son hates his son. Well, you don't hate your child where you say, I'm going to get a gun and shoot this thing. You don't do that. But you realize this. If I don't discipline my child, Number one, my child will grow up angry because this world's full of angry people who live totally undisciplined lives and they cannot cope with any kind of adversity and they're challenged by it and all they can do is get mad and fight or shoot and kill. That's all they know. But you got to, you raise your child, you teach your child the right way to go, you want to discipline your child because if you don't, God will judge your child. you got to deal with that. God never turns his back on sin. And when he tells you that you should, as you walk down the way, as you live and so forth, you should take parenting as a high priority in your life. It's more important than your job and anything else because you're going to raise a citizen for the kingdom or you're going to raise a child I have to judge. If you leave them alone, then you don't really care about them. And not caring about them and disregarding, being unwilling to do will is a form of hate. It's what the Bible would call hating. It doesn't mean despise like we would call hating a, a terrorist who killed your family or ran over you or something. But the fact that we don't want anything to do with people like that. You know, with God's way or something. I want my child to grow up. I was talking with Paul coming up here last night. You know, if, there's things in my life I wish I could go back and redo. There were symptoms and signs that are natural and normal that prop up in kids. And there's a way to deal with that so that they don't hurt themselves down the road. You can fix it. And you just assume, well, I go to church and I preach everything. I'll be all right. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Doesn't get fixed. And you pay for it later. 
to not care about what your kids are doing, how they're doing, how they're responding. Just teaching them how to talk. I'm glad that a lot of you kids here can talk. Can say, hi, how are you? Thank you. Okay, fine. How are you today? Instead of going, huh? Uh Uh-uh. You teach. You train. You train a child up the way he is to go. And it includes social things like that. They won't depart from that when they're over. My mother taught me things growing up about how to react and respect and so forth and, and, and taught me well, taught me by words and by actions how to, how to be polite and kind and open doors and say thank you and, and things like that. And, and they live with me. They still do. But you take time to make your child like that because you love them and you care about them and you're affectionately geared towards them. Whereas if you don't care, so what? Look in 1 John chapter 2 for just a moment. 1 John chapter 2, we all know that hate is wrong. We all know that hate is a deplorable and an ugly thing. The Bible speaks about hate. It's used 174 times in Scripture the word hate is used. That's a lot. The word love is used 401 times. Love, lovest, loved, loving forms like that, hate, hated, hating, and all that. You know, you get love 43% more than you do hate. But hate plays an extremely important role in your life. But it also plays a damning role in your life. It affects you badly. For example, in First John chapter 2 and verse 9, again, he said, He that saith, he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. Let me ask you all a question. What if hate here meant had no regard or care for his brother? We would say that about religion and its disregard for God. They don't care. Prophesy smooth things. We're not here to get learn anything or be theologian. We just want to have a, a nice little church service. Well, what about he that says he loves God? but has no regard or concern or care for his brother, what do you say he was? He's in darkness. Is it possible then to be in a good place here in what you call the word of the Lord and yet be in darkness? All it takes is a bad attitude towards each other. And that bad attitude, which means that you shun people and you stay away from them, or you gossip about them, or you backbite, or you tail bear, and you're rude, and you don't care when they're going through problems. You don't. It's not my problem. It's a form of hate. We don't call it hate, because that's too strong a word. Hate is a strong word. But in a biblical way, it is hate, because you really don't care. Because people who don't care about God are defined as those who hate God. I'll show you that in just a minute. Or in 1 John 2.11, But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness, and he doesn't know where he's going because darkness has blinded his eyes. I believe I could preach that till I'm a, an older man. And people wouldn't get it. Because you get your mind made up. See, you can, you can set aside what God says, and here's it. I'm in charge. There's no way I can go to church, sit in church, take time to get here and stay here and all that, and, and listen, carry my Bible. There's no way you could tell me I'm walking in darkness. You couldn't tell me, me in darkness? I've been coming here for 30 years. I can't stand half the people in this church, but I've been coming here for 30 years. Why are churches in disarray a lot? Why is there no harmony and no unity? It's Galatians 5. They bite and devour. Isn't that in the Bible? They bite and devour one another. Nobody stops them. Nobody tells them that they're sinful. Because they have developed this idea that, you know, I'm all right. I'm a good person and I'm allowed to do this after all. They're not very nice and they shouldn't have said this and I don't have to... So you got people who don't speak to each other in the church. You're walking in darkness. 
The word doesn't have much effect upon you. You labor to try to understand little things. You're in darkness. You can't see. I'm trying to tell you how bad, first of all, this morning hate is. Look in chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that doesn't love his brother, what's it say? He abides. He is living, actively living dead. He's religious. He's a member, belongs to a church, good standing, but he is dead. You know why? He didn't love his brother. Again, we go back to being unforgiving. We usually talk adversely about people because we haven't forgiven them. When we keep bringing somebody's name up and keep talking about what they said and what they did, and I'll tell you one thing, you've never forgiven them. Your unforgiveness is a sign that lead, it's the thing that leads to gossip. And gossip hurts. It's like a wound that goes into the innermost being, separates chief friends. It happens because you hate a person. That is, you don't care anything about them. You hope they get theirs. After the way they did other people, they, I hope they get what they got coming. And yet if you got what you deserve from God, you wouldn't be here this morning. We have got to learn to love, and we also have to learn to hate. We'll get to that in a minute. I'm sure you're waiting on that. But look at chapter 4 and verse 20. If a man say, I love God, and he hates his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? So we're warned in the Scripture Just these brief verses here that hate, which is the opposite of love, is a destructive thing. It's a disrupting thing. It can destroy your life, destroy relationships, cloud the word of God to where it's not clear. And the devil gives you a reason to make it say what you want it to say. And a lot of churches are run that way, as I've already said. But that's what it does. And yet a man who comes to the Lord and humbles himself and says, God, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here today. You alone have saved me. I have nothing besides you. I look at all these people in here, Lord. I don't, they're every one better than I am. I am the least among the saints, Paul said. I am less than the least of all apostles. I deserve nothing but death, and yet you have saved me. And all these people, before I say anything against them or bad about them in judgment, I recognize that uh, if you had done to me what I deserved, and you know me better than anybody, I, I wouldn't be here. Teach me to love like you love. And Jesus said that's one of the great commandments. You love others even as I have loved you. But going back to where I want to go this morning, We have to hate to be holy. I say, how can that be? Well, it's necessary. What keeps you from being holy? A three-letter word starts with an S and ends with an N. It's got an eyeball in the middle of it. What is it? Sin. Sin has a million forms. But in all cases and at all times, it is always something in opposition to God. Sin lies at everybody's door. And sin's desire is for whoever is on the other side of that door. And the Bible says you have to rule it. And you won't rule sin unless you know what sin has done to you and how deplorable and despicable a person you were when God saved you. Some people can't even to use the word go forward, to ask God to save them because all they can see is how bad they are. I don't remember thinking like this back when I asked the Lord to save me, but I can remember thinking how I am too bad to be made good. I'm no good because of the effect of sin in my life. 
And God, in the most wonderful way that words can't describe, in spite of your awfulness and your criminal lifestyle, came into your life in one divine moment, touched your heart, changed it all. You say, how could you save me? Why would you save somebody like me? Why would you do that? And you know what he would say? Because I love you. I chose you from the foundation of the world, knowing what I was going to get when I got you. And I'm going to make a personal project to you because I will teach you and I will instruct you in the way you are to go. And I will guide you continually with my eye on you. And I'm going to constantly deal with your conscience. And part of your growth and learning was as you begin to grow in the Lord and learn scriptures and learn about how to really have a church meeting, God begins to deal with you about things you've got to stop doing. Isn't that true? There's a negative thing. You have to learn it. You've been going down to the joint every day, coming home from work and, and having a cold one before you go home. That means drinking a beer for those of you that never did that. And so you think, oh, you go to the joint one day and you get there and you think, what am I doing here? They're not singing hymns in there, are they? Is there a preacher in there? No. Well, what am I doing in here? I'm making a decision. I'm making a quality, ethical decision in response to what I've been taught that I will no longer do that because it would dishonor God. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. I don't want to sin. So you begin to back off. So I say, oh, just a beer? It ain't a, you don't go to hell because you drink a beer. I, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't need it. It's not a need in, in my life. I promise you I can live without it. And I'm not going to do it. It's not so much the beer as much crowd you're around. All the talk and the profanity and the uncleanness you listen to and stuff that's going on and the stories people are telling. What in the world am I doing in there? I choose God. You back off. And you're no longer willing to do that because you look at people in there and you think, you know, I used to be like that. Oh, you're judging all those people. Well, I'm judging myself first. And God has to judge what I just came out of. And if those people don't hear the gospel and get turned around, they'll all be judged. So you begin to hate what's going on. I hate what it's doing to people. I hate your music. I hate your dress. I hate the attitude that's, that is behind all of this and all this cool foolishness that's going on. I hate it. I do. When they try to bring a commercial on the radio and it's got that boom, 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 I turn it off and I tell Bonnie every now and then if, if she's in the car, I hate that sound. That's not of God. I don't want to get acclimated to it. I don't want to get used to it. And I don't want to say, well, you know, it's just the age we're in. You know, that's the way. Not for me. I hate it. Hate. You've got to hate what's going on in this world, things that keep you from doing right. But you've got to hate sin. I'm not going to do that anymore. I hate it. I hate what I just did. Maybe you glanced at somebody walking down the street, not very well dressed. I don't mean style either. I mean material. They didn't get enough material when they bought that dress. They got cheated out about half of it. And they walk down the street because you're supposed to look, and that's why they wear the clothes they wear. So you'll look and lust. That's why you do it. And you realize what lust does and how God has to judge it. And you tell yourself, you know, I don't want to be judged for that. So you make a covenant, as the Bible says. You make a covenant with your eyes not to look upon a maid. And you turn your head. Because I hate the fact that the devil wants to lure me back into unclean thinking or suggestions. I hate that. Well, if you hate it, you won't do it. If you hate it, you won't. If you get convicted about your appearance as being less than modest, 
if you really hate that, you won't do it. I just paid whatever you paid for this. Well, then burn it. Get rid of it. I'll take it to Goodwill and all somebody else to get judged. You just, just get rid of it. Just get rid of it. Amen. Turn to Psalm 97. Jesus said, if you love anything more than God, then it's like hate. Matthew 10. If any man loves his parents more than he loves God, loves his life more than he loves God, cannot be the Lord's disciple. Jesus just used the word hate in Luke 14 to say the same thing. Hate would mean to love less. To despise the idea that I might choose something besides God. That I might put somebody, my wife or my own body, before God. I want to make sure that I get all this in order, that I'm not being eccentric and going over the top. I get it all right for me, Tom Hamilton, in my life, so that I'm doing it the way God wants me to do it. Listen to these. Follow me. Psalms 97 and verse 10. Psalms 97 and verse 10. How many of you love the Lord? Okay, this is for you. You that love the Lord, do what? Hate evil. Let me ask you another question. Don't answer it. Do you? Do you enjoy sin for a season or the pleasures of sin or the idea of sin? Or do you hate it? you got to come to the place where you hate it. He gives you four responses after verse 10 or four things, good things that will do. do you, let me ask you another question. Do you hate this? It's not music. It's just fast talking. They call it rap music. And it's laced with vulgarities and uncleanness. Do you despise that? What if you caught and heard one of your children listening to it because they learned that from school? Leaven from school or leaven from wherever it come began to infiltrate one of your children and you saw it, you heard them listening to it in their room one night, low of course, and some of the words coming out are absolutely anti-God, anti-moral, anti-right. Would you do something about it? Would you? Would you have a talk with your child? I don't mean going there and say, I'm going to wear you. Or would you say, let me tell you why I think that's wrong. Listen to me. Or why can't I go? Instead of saying, because I said so, and we've all with children have said that, what if you said, I'm going to tell you why. Number one, as a parent, I'm responsible for you and what happens to you, and my name is tarnished by your mistakes. Neither one are good. And in light of where you're going and who you're going to be with and the possibility, the potential for something unnecessary to happen, it's not in your best interest to go. And I care about your life and about your well-being, and I'm making that decision. I don't want you to do that. You think that would work? Depends. Your child, you know how they are more than I do. Look at Psalm 119 and verse... 104. Through thy precepts, I get understanding. We all do. Therefore, what do you hate? What if I read it this way? And I don't mean to add anything to the Bible, but just amplifying what it's probably saying, at least to me, what if I said this in Psalm 119, verse 104? Through the word of God... As it's made clear to me, you open my understanding and I see what you're saying. Therefore, I hate religion that rules out my need to be taught the Word of God. It's teaching me for the Word of God man's ways. I, I hate that. I'd ask, Why are you sitting there then? Why are you there? Verse 128, Psalm 119, verse 128. He said, therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And again, back to those who don't preach that, I hate every false way. Can we do that? Are we allowed as Christians to hate what's false? I mean, hate it in the sense that I don't want nothing to do with it. The Bible shows that the people who hate God say, I don't want anything to do with all that. 
I'm not even going to attempt to go to church, try to find I'm not even interested in it. The only thing to do with it. Go back to verse 113. I hate vain thoughts. Vain thoughts. What do you mean? I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. The word vain thoughts, a Hebrew word which means double-minded. A person who sees things two ways. Double means two. The writer here says, I hate double-mindedness. I hate vain thoughts. Because one, you see what God said, and you say, well, yeah. And then you have this other way you see it, and you say, well, but in light of today, in light of our culture and our society and, and where we are technically and culturally in this hour, uh, you got to recognize that, you know, you can't just do it the Bible way. You got to give a little room here. So it leads to compromise so that the conviction of the word no longer rules your life because it is equally ruled by what somebody else says or thinks. The psalmist said, I hate Vain thoughts. People who engage with illogical thinking, who are more interested in being intellectually reasonable and socially fit and proper, not of being offensive to anybody, even at the point of setting aside what you've been taught or what you say you believe because it wouldn't work in the crowd you're in, so you begin to compromise. The psalmist says, I hate that. Could you hate that? If you will, and you don't mind, put your, your best finger in the Psalms there and go back to the book of James chapter 1, just for a moment. James chapter 1, let me show you what it says in the New Testament about being double-minded or having two minds and two way of thinkings and looking at everything two ways, the world's way and God's way. James chapter 1 begins in verse 2. Count it all joy when you encounter divers' trials. Knowing this, grasping and perceiving this, that the testing of your faith works endurance. Let patience or endurance have its perfect completing work so that you may be complete and entire, wanting nothing. But when you're dealing with God in prayer, you've got to ask in faith and not waver. You've got to be sure. For he that asks and doesn't believe is not sure. Verse 6 says, he's like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed with the wind. And verse 7 says, let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God. Why? Why? Even God says he hates this type of mental exercise. Why? Because he's a double-minded man and he's what? Unstable. You can't count on them spiritually. When the heat comes, they'll quit. They'll give up and run because it, things aren't making sense anymore. I like a quiet, comfortable church where, yes, I believe God. What are you going to do when the Jordan overflows? God said in Jeremiah, if you run with a footman and they have wearied you, how will you contend with horses? The worst part's coming. If you can't handle a little pressure now, what are you going to do then? When the Jordan overflows its banks and the lions can't live in the bushes and they start running in the city, what are you going to do then? Ain't a puppy in your backyard. That's Leo. Now what are you going to do? He said, let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God. Let me ask you all a question. Brother Tom and his trumpet of tribulation, they once said. Is that how God feels about being double-minded? Does that mean we should make up our minds about what we believe? And let your eye be... Single? There's no two ways about it anymore. It's one way. And your friends think, you are so legalistic. You are so judgmental and so legalistic. You ever heard that? Why? Because you shut one eye. Look at chapter 4 and verse 8. Draw nigh to God. God will draw nigh to you. But listen to this. Cleanse your hands. You sinners and purify your hearts. You double-minded. It ain't. It is not going to work for you to have two ways of seeing what God is saying. 
You're not allowed to be a philosophical Christian and say, well, on the one hand is on this, but on the other. You cut one of those hands off. Either be hot or be cold, but make up your mind. What if I told you you should hate the fact that you're wishy-washy? Would you agree or would you think about it? I hate the fact that I'm so so wishy-washy or sometimes I'm thinking so so liberal or the fact that you don't want to take stands. You're afraid of what people will think about you or how they'll label you in the community. Everybody in the day of Jesus thought he was a wonderful person. They loved him. He wasn't very popular because they had to bribe one of his buddies to point out which one to crucify, but they did kill him. Look at verse 163, back in Psalm 119 again. You know where I told you to put your best finger? All right, go back there now. Psalm 119, verse 163. I hate lying. Can you hate lying? When people lie to you, they're going about as low as they can go because that's the beginning of the lowest part of their life. Lying. Lying leads to cheating. Cheating leads to harm and injury. All liars are self-centered, sparing themselves at the expense of truth. He said, I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. You're living in a society that thrives on lies. Hardly anybody trusts anybody today. Lies are everywhere and we've learned to live with it. People lie about their age, their occupation, the product they're about to sell and want to sell. We fabricate a, a mistruth in order to get gain because we're so self-centered in this light. And when you lie, you feed that. And you determine to tell the truth, even though it costs you something, then you're gaining favor with the Lord. But the only thing God will ever use in this life and the only thing that will ever come into your life to change your life and cleanse you is truth. God will never use a lie to refine you. But lies will bring judgment. Because all liars, Revelation 21.8 says, all liars have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Go back to Psalm 139 and verse 21. That's where we started and we'll commence coming to a close. Psalm 139 again, verse 21. Do I not hate them that hate thee? Let me ask you a question. Questions make you think. They challenge your, your thinking. Do people hate God? He said here, I hate those that hate thee. Now, this message is not about identifying those who hate God, but I think with a little fruitful thinking, you could figure most of this out. There are people who hate God because, by definition, they want nothing to do with God or his way or the change that he requires. You can go into churches to get most of this. They don't want it. They don't want it. They don't mind you telling stories and having good effects like that. But when it comes down to this book and these words and what it means and what it's supposed to mean and preaching as though that's the only thing we've got, and it is, people feel like they're pinned to a wall. They no longer have a mind that they can think with. Well, maybe we could preach on the renewing of the mind. The one you've been thinking with got you in trouble. God wants to change that. But do not I hate those that hate thee. Would you turn to the book of Malachi? I'm going to show you how God defines those that hate him. This is God's way of showing us this morning how he would identify somebody that hates him. You know, Exodus 20 was the Ten Commandments chapter. And one of the statements that was made in Exodus 20 and verse 5 was that God hates those who turn from him to idols. 
say, oh, God wouldn't hate anybody. Well, you, I tell you what, you read it. You read it yourself. Exodus 20 and verse, and verse 5. That's just one, one verse. Let me read for you Deuteronomy 5. Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them, those idols, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Then who hates God by God's definition? Well, he said those who are iniquitous who do not respond to his word, who look to other sources besides God for help or encouragement. They did the idols in the Old Testament. They went to the hills and the groves and they put all these sticks up and made them a rock and painted it. And they would pray to those things and lay sacrifices before them. You know what God said about it? He said, I hate not only that, but those that do it. You think, oh, God would never do that. Well, read it for yourself. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. God says, if then I be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my respect, reverence, or fear, saith the Lord? To you, priests, you teachers, who despise my name. Did your Bible say that? Wow. He said, to you who despise my name. And you say, in what way have we despised your name? In verse 7, he says, by the way you live, by your response to me, I told you this is the way walk ye in it. You have rethought it out how you think it ought to be, and you've done it your way and not mine. And in that sense, you hate me. He said in that you offer polluted bread upon my altar, and you say, when do we offer polluted bread? It, the time that you said the table of the Lord is contemptible. Why do we have to keep doing this? Man, I, I, I have to kill these good animals and do this. I don't know why we have to do this. He's just complaining about the word, complaining about what God is saying, complaining. In verse 8, and if you offer the blind in sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it now to your governor. Will he be pleased with you or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? And now I pray you beseech God that he will be gracious unto you. Even though you're like that, here's what God said. Seek after me that I'll be gracious unto you. I will regard your, your person, saith the Lord. You turn to me. You turn your hearts to me. I'll regard you, even though you've been bad. Verse 10, who is there among, even among you, that would shut the doors for nothing? Neither do you kindle fire on my altar for nothing. Listen to this. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord, neither will I accept an offering at your hand. Let me ask you all a question. Is there ever a time in the Bible that God says to his people, these were Jewish people, I have no pleasure in you. And if you bring me your offering, I will not accept it. You know why? Listen, because they didn't hate that attitude they had about God and his way, and they complained about it. Chapter 2, verse 8. He's not through. But you are departed out of the way. You have caused many to stumble at my law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord. Verse 14. Yet you say, why? Why are you not receiving our offering, Lord? He said, because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you've dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and the wife of thy, what's that word? Covenant. covenant. She's a wife by covenant, an eternal oath between God and man inspired and authored by God on the behalf of two people who before God enter into a covenant. 
Well, that's what he said about people. No, I don't want to do that anymore. No, I don't, I, no, I ain't going to do that anymore. Verse 15, did he not make both of you to be one? He did that because he might seek a godly seed. Therefore, take heed to yourself and let none of you deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. That word is divorce. He hates it. For one covers violence with a garment. That's religious oversight. They hide the meaning of this so you can do it, causing them to deal treacherously. He said in verse 18 to these people who had no regard for covenant, he said, you deal treacherously. He said, you have wearied the Lord with your words. You have wearied God. Your prayer meeting is a weary to God, to these people. You said, well, how have we wearied you? And he said, everyone that does evil is good in the sight of God. And God delights in them. Well, look at there. I love God as much as they do. And look how well they're, they're doing. And here's this old geezer's won the lottery. And I'm like, well, I ain't right. And, and we start complaining like that. It's not fair. We say, it's not fair. Nobody in this room has a right to cry about something not being fair. I dare say a lot of you were abused horribly and offended, molested, maybe raped, discarded. No, you know, some way your parents didn't do you right. I don't know. But every one of you have been brought to God. And God has opened his word up to you to fix it and to change it all so that you now have hope. You're not without hope in this world because you have God. And whatever was done wrong can be made right. But people, some never get away from that. They just live their whole life. (laughs) Chapter 3. Not many like this chapter either. But he said, you have robbed God. Remember that? About tithing? He said, verse 8, will a man rob God? He told him the verse before this. He said, in this way, come back to me. In this way, return to me. All right? What are you talking about? Will a man rob God? That's what he told his people. Yet you have robbed me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And God says, in tithes, that's one word, and offerings is another word. I think in religion today, tithes and offerings is one word, tithes and offerings. But he said, you've robbed me not only with what's due me, but other things that are in response to the needs I want you to help. You've robbed me both ways. In verse 9, he says, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, says the Lord. He said, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you. And pour out upon you a blessing that there shall not be room enough to contain it. And, 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 verse 11. And in response, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruit of your ground, neither your vine. Your vine won't cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord. You want to be blessed? This is one of the ways to do it. One of the things that God said he hated was people who disregarded him, whether with your your beliefs, your marriage, your money. And how many other ways or major ways in the world is that three points big deals? That's why the world isn't doing good. That's why the church is not real spiritual in this hour. They hate God. I know how that sounds, and I don't mean for you to run out of here saying what's not right, but I'm saying to disregard God, to set aside his way, or to complain about his word is an expression of hate. God would call it that. Disdain, sniffed up your nose at it. Oh, I'm Now in closing, does God actually hate? There's a lot of discussion about that, a lot of debates about that. You know, Romans 9 says it about Jacob, and he, saw his, he said, Jacob, I have loved, 
Esau, I have hated. Now, it doesn't mean that he hated him in the sense that he destroyed him. Esau today is probably the Arab nation today. He said, you're going to wander your whole life. I'm going to give you places to go. But Jacob's going to get the blessing. I'm going to bless Jacob. I'm not going to bless you like Jacob because the favor I'm going to show Jacob, I'm not going to show you. Is that fair? <laughs> it's fair because God said that's what I'm going to do. We don't write the rules and say in order for God to be fair, he must do it our way. Church preaches that. God does it his way whether we like it or not. That's the way it is. And if he said, I'm going to bless Israel, Israel's going to get blessed. And he says, I'm going to chastise them because they were to be blessed. He'll chastise them. And if he says, they'll be here at the end, they'll be here at the end. And he said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And think of all the hatred in the world today against them, against Israel. Look at all the prejudice in the world today against races and cultures and ethnic groups. Look at all of it. It's not like a little child, a little Arab child grows up hating a Jew. He has to be taught how to hate. You teach him that Jews are bad. You teach him that Jews are inferior. You teach them, you tell them lies because you want them to hate Jews. And they grow up and they hate the Jews. When Brother Guts and I were in Israel a couple of years ago, one of those little fellows threw a rock at Mike and barely missed him. I said, well, Mike, you're going to take that? Throw that rock back at that boy. And I said, all he had to do was throw that rock back and it had come out of all them houses up there yelling and marching. We'd been in the noose. Brother Gutsy would have out hid. They're trained to hate you because of your color. Look at the race problem today, black and white or, or Hispanic, just hate. Not because anybody of any other color has ever done you wrong. The fact that that's what you've heard, it's a form of hate. And the hate shows up in, in the scowls, the scoffing, the indifference, the stare. And God says, you cannot do that. I think God loves green people as much as he loves white people. I do. I don't think God is a respecter of persons. And if you qualify as a person, then you're a candidate for God's salvation. God's crossed all the borders in this hour through history. The Ethiopians weren't, weren't a bunch of white people. And they're Jewish Ethiopians. You know that? Moses married an Ethiopian woman. And Aaron and Miriam had a fit. She put her harp down. There wasn't no more dancing on the sand over that. But she had leprosy because she hated it. And her hate brought that on her. And I do believe that in this hour today, in this world that's so full of hate, there's no end to all the woes and the agony that's coming in this hour in this world. Because of the hate. The people who hate God. Listen to what God said in Psalm 11. Just, just hold on. He said, The wicked and him that loveth violence doth my soul hate. The reason there was a flood was violence and uncleanness. And God says, He that does violence, my soul doth hate. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. I believe that God looks upon lost humanity knowing already tonight the way it's going to end. He knows the end from the beginning. Everybody in this room this morning, God knows all about you. He knows what you need to hear. He knows what you're going to hear. He knows what his plans are for you, and the things that we don't know about are already divinely arranged to come into your life and challenge you. But these challenges God's going to use to affect a holy change in your life. And you'll look back in your life and you'll see all the Ebenezer stones and all the times that God rescued you and delivered you and changed your life. And you'll think, praise God, I know in whom I have believed and I know he'll keep doing it. And you'll also look at what he rescued you from. All the cursing and the drinking and the being cool. 
and being Charlie Potatoes in society. And you see how that warped your whole idea about how you relate to God because you couldn't give up God. You had to live like that until God finally changed you. And now you look at the temptation to do that and you sneer at it. I'm unwilling to go back to that. I hate the idea that I would ever do that. Teach me thy way, O Lord, so I can walk in your truth. I do not believe that we can experience the kind of holiness that God wants or being a disciple until we learn to hate the things that get in the way. And if you can't crucify those things, I don't know how you can be a disciple. You've got to hate the idea that you did it. And let me close with saying, saying this. Have you ever failed? Have you ever truly recognized weakness in your life? Mental weakness. Moral weakness. Have you ever done it? Have you ever found yourself talking and in the middle of what you're saying, say, oops. It's a weakness. A tolerance that you have for enjoying doing that. Let me tell you today, stop it. Tell yourself, I hate that because that was what was going to get me judged. That's what I've been delivered from and I refuse. I make a decision, a quality, an ethical decision. I will not go back to that ever again in Jesus' name. And when people want to lure you away, despise it. Amen? Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, as we come to the close of this hour, the time that you brought us together to hear your word, I pray that we have heard not what I've said, but what you've said. I pray that the things in our heart can testify to the need that it has for your truth. Put that in my heart. The people before whom I stand, O Lord, are your people. Give them convictions, the things that changes us, that makes us enjoy heaven and enjoy Christ. Give us that. Give us that willingness to not be afraid of what people think, but to have a desire to commune with you and to talk with you and to learn your ways. I pray for, as great men of old have prayed, I pray for a holy hatred of the things that disqualify us for heaven. Teach us your ways, O Lord, and unite our hearts to fear your name. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.